Second first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is our first look for this week's PGA Championship. It's a little bit of a course preview, a little bit of a field preview, maybe some outrights to look at. And joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. What up, Greg? Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, Looking forward to this one. This is going to be a cool event. I got a chance to watch some of the 2012 um, PGA. I got to watch some of those highlights. and I watched the final round the other night. So Kiowa is a great spot. I I can't wait for this week. Certainly is. Sia Najad rounding out our threesome for today. Sia, good to have you. Rick, I'm ready to move on. My Charles Schwartzel outright looks to be dead. So let's get started with the PGA Championship. I'm holding that ticket as well. And uh, I'm not even sweating it because I don't think it's worth a sweat. Uh, But we've got the second major championship of the year here. Gentlemen, the PGA Championship. And of course, Greg, when we get a PGA Championship and with a lot of the the non-masters majors, the course often becomes the storyline because we rotate and there's usually history. And the history that we have here at the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island is is essentially most recently 2012, where Rory McIlroy went out there and just went absolutely scorched earth beat everybody by eight shots. It's the largest margin of victory in PGA Championship history. And since then, since it then in 2012 played as the longest course in major championship history, it's been extended and it's going to get that honor again this time, Greg. Yes, uh, it is a big boy golf course and it's <laughs> not necessarily, I think it's slope and and um, it's slope rating is the hardest in the country on, mm. on the ground. So it is definitely a challenging test. It it's going to be a little bit different than say a U.S. Open challenge. You're not going to see the thick rough and the, I mean, you may see some thick rough, but that's not really, the fairways are wide. It's not like the narrow fairways that you see at winged foot with thick rough and fast mm-hmm. greens. And that, that's not really the test here. It's a little bit more like a links style course and you're on the ocean. So wind becomes a huge factor. And if the wind is down, if conditions are soft, if winds down, if any of those things happen, then you can score out here. 7,800 yards is extremely long, but for the guys out on tour, it's still something that they can handle. So it is a challenge, but the real challenge comes from wind, comes from the firmness of the property. Um, and, and the other thing I find so interesting about this golf course is the severity in the runoffs. And when you miss greens, that's why when they get firm, it gets so challenging because you can get way below, you know, eight, 10 feet below the surface of the green and, and it's all a shaved area. And now you have that decision. What do I do? Do I chip something into the bank and run it up? Do I hit a flop shot? Uh, Do I hit something that spins? There are a ton of options and it'll be great to see what the players choose to do around the greens. You hit so many of my notes there, Greg. Let's go through a couple of them a bit more in depth. See, this is co-design, the architects, Pete Dye and his wife, Alice, who uh, Greg is absolutely right. They tried to make this a link style course reminiscent of what you might see in Scotland or Ireland. Ireland, but bringing it here to uh, you know this side of the pond, and with that, especially with some of the raised fairways that you have at the ocean course, winds can play a factor here. That's kind of the the unknown, and that's the the X factor for how difficult this course might play over the course of the of the week. 
Yeah, and I think it's why on these coastal courses, on these link style courses, obviously you want to take a second look at the European players too. But honestly, I think as this week goes, we're really going to have to monitor the wind situation because uh, you know if it's extreme or, or or if you know in the in the Thursday a.m. versus the Thursday p.m. for example, and I'm talking both from an outright and a you know DraftKings standpoint. I mean, it really might be favorable for certain players. So uh, that's one of the things I'm looking at. But with the wind in mind as well, I mean, around the green game, uh, scrambling, those things are going to be probably really important here. So I know when you look at this course and you look at how long it is, I mean, it's ridiculous how long it is. So you're going to be emphasizing, of course, driving distance and approach like we always do. But I mean, the scrambling around the green, that's probably going to factor in pretty heavy here. That was what, Greg, you and I talked about it, and I don't even know if we we had the mics on it or if we were just chatting about it. You you were mentioning, yeah, Rory shot like a Sunday 66. It was great, but he was just absolutely phenomenal around the greens. You know, you're going to have to be so sublime to, to, to make par. Par will be a good score often out there at the ocean course that, yes, uh, the distance matters. Yes, of course, ball striking matters, but guys who are able to rely or lean on the short game a little bit uh, certainly seem to be at an, at an advantage because of how many greens you might be missing this week. It, yeah, it, um, you bring up a couple of great points there, Rick. You will be missing a lot of greens this week. And part of the reason is um, when when you get wind and you get penalties the way that you have, you, you have opportunities for penalties uh, all over the place at Kiowa Island. And it's not just the water. It's not just hitting it into the water or into a traditional penalty area. But there are certain places where if you miss a, a specific green to the right hand side. It's it's a basically a half shot penalty at least. No chance of getting up and down kind of a thing. Um, the, the 17th hole comes to mind where there actually is water on the right hand side of the green. And so it asks you to play away from those areas, especially if you're in a 20 mile an hour crosswind or something along those lines. So now you have to play a little more conservative and that leaves you with Difficult pitch shots, difficult chip shots. So guys, even when they're at their very best ball striking wise, are going to bail out upon occasion, especially come Sunday afternoon. And that's what we saw with Rory McIlroy. He he missed a lot of greens. He was not necessarily uh, a pinpoint off the tee. He wasn't pinpoint with his irons. He was hitting it. He had some great shots, of course, but he yeah. where he really made his hay was getting up and down, making six to eight foot putts all day for par. Uh, and he really never let anybody get back into the tournament because he made birdies when he had chances. But he really, when he, when he missed greens, when he played safe, he was able to make pars. We've already been talking about Roy McElroy as uh, one of the big storylines for this week. So see, let's just put a bow on this with his victory at the Wells Fargo championship. He injects himself atop the betting board over at William Hill. He is the favorite as we speak. He is 12 to one to not only win the PGA championship, but to go back to back at Kiowa Island. Now we've got, uh, we've got one one really good set of results for Rory recently, right? Since since he signs on with Pete Cowan, since he's uh, been making whatever tiny little changes or whatever that we've seen, the driver looks good. Obviously, the rest of his game was sharp in that victory at Quail Hollow. Yeah, and, and I think that all really factors in. I mean, this Cowan thing and just sort of what seemed to be an immediate turnaround, I think really plays well to the Rory narrative. But but we we got to be honest with, with how he's been playing. And, and this is coming from a guy who really has never been on Roy, at least not for quite some time. But statistically, he grades out pretty well, too. I mean, even when he wasn't winning, and Rick, I know you talked about this a lot, even when he wasn't winning, he was doing a lot of things right. There was just, you know, certain things that just weren't coming around. For example, off the tee, if you go last, I guess, 50 rounds, 
rounds, he's sixth off the tee. So it's not like when he wasn't winning. And I know off the tee is going to be somewhat important here, obviously. And that's why I just bring that that singular metric up. But it's not like he wasn't playing well. He just wasn't being the Rory that we thought he would be. And now it looks like that Rory that he thought he would be. Well, now he's kind of that guy. So it absolutely makes sense that this guy's the favorite. A big bunch of names right behind Rory McIlroy, Greg, all at 14 to 1. It's Jordan Spieth, it's Justin Thomas, it's John Rahm, and it's Bryson DeChambeau. Let's start with Spieth because uh, he is, I, I don't even know how arguable this is since the start of 2021. He's been the best, if not, or one of the best, if not the best player on the PGA Tour. And of course, there is this other thing hanging over Jordan Spieth's head, which is the fact that if he wins this golf tournament, if he wins the PGA Championship, he would become what? The sixth guy to complete the career Grand Slam. I think we've got five others at this point. It would be a monumental uh, career feat that we don't see often. Absolutely monumental. Um, And it would also be the longest stretch between the third and the fourth, which I find to be very interesting. Nobody has done it. Nobody has gone more than three tries, um, failed more than three times before doing it. And so for Jordan, this is the fifth, but it feels a little different because he hasn't really had a chance where Jordan Spieth coming into a PGA was the story. Um, In 2018, that would have been his first chance at Bell. He wasn't really playing. And all that great. He was kind of sliding away. And so while that was a story, you also had Tiger who dominated the storylines. And Tiger was really the, the biggest story in 2018 heading in, even though Kepka ended up winning. Um, and then in 2019, he wasn't part of the story at all. It was really, a, his game was in terrible shape and Beth Page looked like he just would have <laughs> no chance at Beth Page Black. He comes in tied third somehow, but it was like a miracle kind of performance on the greens, a miraculous performance on the greens. And then in 2020, his game was uh, it was worse than it was in those previous two years at Harding Park. So he, he hasn't really had the pressure that he should have this week. There, there'll be a lot of pressure, a lot of eyeballs on him. I'm I know I'm a big proponent of him because he has been the best player in the world since the start of the year, especially since February at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. From then on, he has been absolutely phenomenal. And um, and I think his success in British Opens, as he does have an Open Championship, obviously. He's very comfortable in the wins being from Texas. I, I think this really uh, should fit his game well. He had a couple of short game shots this week that maybe have me a little concerned, but... Um, but I, I got to think he can have that straightened out next week. I'm super bullish on him heading into next week, or I should say this week, depending on when you are listening to this. Looking over the le- the rest of those names, see, uh, uh, certainly no shortage of heavyweights. Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Bryson DeChambeau sit with Jordan Spieth at 14 to 1. I think Bryson's game has some question marks, but when he gets things going in the right direction, he's difficult to stop. Justin Thomas, always one of the best tee to green players on the planet, and John Rahm, outside of the missed cut, a couple of a couple of weeks ago has been has been splendid. So how do we reconcile these big names? Yeah, this is tough because I'm probably going to be paying up for Rory, whether it's in you know the betting market or in the um, DraftKings market, which of course we're going to talk about tomorrow uh, in depth. I-, I like Rory a lot. You know, I don't think I'm going to be on Bryson. I don't think I'm going to be on DJ. I just don't know where his game is at. I'm, I'm assuming he's playing this week. I'm assuming that the quote knee injury isn't too severe. Rom just uh, again, I-, I can't pay up for everybody necessarily. 
Um, I, I don't know that I want to be on Rom either. So the guys I'm focused on here on this page, which goes down to Colin Morikawa at 30 to one. I like Rory and Colin, to be honest with you. I, I like the top and bottom of this of this uh, page. And I think those are the two guys, at least in this tier, that I'm going to be focused on. All right, let's move a little bit further down the board here, and we can kind of incorporate DraftKings pricing because it is out at the moment. And the one, the one quote unquote free space, Greg, that everybody's going to be talking about this week is Sam Burns. He is seventy five hundred dollars on DraftKings. He is the same price as Garrick Higo. No offense to Garrick Higo, but mm-hmm. actually, he's a hundred dollars more expensive. Uh, but that is even by DraftKings major championship uh, soft pricing standards. It's shocking for a guy who won the Valspar. And as we speak, unlikely to win the Byron Nelson, but the fact that he's even in it, like he's obviously playing well right now. Right. Um, if it's not KH Lee, it's going to be him more likely than not. So I, I think his form is um, impeccable right now. And it's something you really got to take a look at. The question is, this is now a, a major championship. This is a, a ne- this is the next level. And is Sam Burns ready for that? There's been a really nice progression through his career through these first three years. Um, it seems like it'd be a lot to jump up in a major championship and and have great success again next week. This is a very different golf course than Valspar. It's a different golf course than Genesis. It's a different golf, different style golf course than a lot of the places where Sam Burns has had great success. So that being said, I'm, I'm not comfortable with how he's going to play in the wind. I'm comfortable with the short game. I'm comfortable with his drive in and his iron. I'm not overly certain of when it gets really windy for four days. How is he going to handle that? That being said, he's 7500. <laughs> he's 7500. I mean, how do you and he's the hottest he's one of the hottest players in the world right now. So yeah. I I think at that point in a DraftKings lineup, I'm willing to take a flyer on him and and put him in uh, at least he is, will be at least in some of my lineups. Uh I haven't made them already. I'm sure C has already got a couple going with Sam Burns in it, some without him in it. I don't, I don't know. Well, can I just can I just say I just want to interrupt you there because I, everybody should and I'm not equating Sam Burns to the guy I'm about to say, but everybody should be aware of the seven k ish chalk in DraftKings. Sincerely, Doug Gim at the AT and T Byron Nelson. Like when you get to chalky players in the seven k range, they, they all they don't always work out, and you find out there's a reason they were priced that low. So you know I, I'm going to have to deep dive a little bit more on Sam Burns, especially with the wind, because it seems like Greg has some answers to that to those questions that I certainly don't have. But I, I just I caution everybody because Doug Gim felt like a free square to a lot of people this week. I understand it's a different tournament. It's a different test and it's a different caliber player, but I just wanted to point that out. Sam Burns in major championships. He's played three of them. 2016, he missed the cut, the U S open. That was probably not as a professional. I would imagine, right? He didn't turn pro until after that. I believe he he finished right. T41 at the 2018 US Open, and then he's played the PGA Championship once, uh, 2019, finished T29, three major championships. That's his experience, so we'll certainly see uh, how it goes in his fourth this week. Greg, a little bit further, I've circled names like you know Paul Casey at 50-1, to Corey Connors at 66-1. to I'm obviously a big, a big proponent of ball striking. I do worry about their short game prowess. Is there anybody else kind of in that range that we might want to keep an eye on as as you know, we start to turn our attention to uh, to this major championship. Uh, as you're looking at some of the, you're saying some of these dark horses, right, Rick? Correct. 
Yeah, there there are definitely some interesting names down here. In um, like, I think Matt Wallace is someone who is just so hot. You have to consider him, um, and another one of those one of those European style players. So I really, I really, really like his style. I'm going to give you a guy that's a little bit farther down, um, and on DraftKings, he's in the mid sixes, and he, I think he's at, I think he's sitting at sixty. Yeah, 6,600. Um, and it's Alex Noren. Mm-hmm. And Alex Noren to me is really interesting right now. He came in 21st at the Valspar. He came in 25th at the RBC Heritage. He's a guy who has a lower ball flight. Um, so he definitely, he plays with a strong club. I, I like his golf swing. And I like the way he putts on the greens too. Um, and I like his prowess around the greens. The game has been in really struggling form for quite some time. So we haven't, there hasn't been a good fit for Alex Norin in a long time, but we're starting to see now three weeks in a row of, of real positive. And I think he could be uh, worthy of a long shot. Maybe, maybe not an outright. I would say definitely not an outright, but, uh, but definitely a DraftKings lineup. If I have to watch that uh, swing rehearsal for four straight days in contention at a major championship, my goodness, we're going to have a problem. But he, I do like the guy. I just cannot watch him do that like little rehearsal thing before. Yeah. Well, before I think shot. you're going th- to, I think you might have to this week, Rick. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. See, as you look over the betting board, as you look over the DraftKings player pool, is there anybody that offers a hair more value that you're going to be targeting this week? Well, I got an early number on Abraham answer at 66 to one. Now, I think that's down to like 45, 50 to one, depending on where you look. I believe at William Hill, it's 45 to one. I like answer. The ball striking has been great. I like Bubba Watson and Siwoo Kim as well. I mean, Siwoo Kim, if you want to talk about Pete Dye, obviously he's always going to come up, but let's just talk about the pure metrics here. Last 50 rounds, T to green, he's 15th. If you just fast forward to the last 12 rounds, he's 18th. Then you have the Pete Dye narrative. And by the way, last 50 rounds around the green, he rates out fourth. So he seems to check really a lot of the boxes. Uh, and again, I think answer does as well. T to green 28th last 50 rounds, but last 12 rounds seventh. So th- these guys are, you know, these guys I'm mentioning are really on the rise and Bubba Watson, I-, I won't mention the metrics, but he's clearly striking the ball a lot better these days. So I like him as well at 90 to one. Abraham answer 50 to one at William Hill. And we've started the show talking about the course and we're going to end the show talking about the course because our very own Kyle Porter has checked in with a question, Greg, what can characteristic of this course is most different than other majors and or tour courses. That seems like it's right up your alley. Yeah. Um, I, I would say the number one thing to me, it, it's fascinating. I don't even think there are many courses, um, uh, links courses in the UK that are like this, where it is all, uh, it goes basically straight out and straight back in on both sides. So you have, you will play stretches of four or five holes in a row that are all downwind or all into the wind and you're going to turn a corner and it will change dramatically. So depending on wind direction, the stretches of holes out there get incredibly difficult or much easier. And so what you see, and we saw a lot of this in 2012 is you'll see guys go on runs and they may birdie the first four holes in a row and make a huge move. And then they turn the corner and go back into the wind and it kind of, it kind of loses you. So the conditions out here, and they play a huge role in, uh, in the, in open championship in that rota, but it's a little bit different because of the, the, the direction that the holes go. It's a very interesting thing to watch. And, uh, I think it provides great drama. Great job drama. I'm sure it will provide all week long for 
the 2021 PGA Championship. But for now, that'll do it. We'll be back on Monday with a full DFS preview. We'll be back on Tuesday. You'll you'll get sick of us by the end of the week. And fingers crossed, gentlemen, that we can get through the rest of this Byron Nelson without a stoppage because it's looking pretty wet out there. But for now, let me thank producer Jacob. He does all the hard work behind the scenes. Let me thank Sia Najad. You can find him on Twitter at Sia Najad. That's Greg Ducharme. You can find him at the real GFD, and you can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.